0: Good morning, CBC. Once again, welcome. As always, we are so grateful that you're here. Well, we are making our way through the book of Romans, and we are in a pivotal section of this book. As Brandon shared last week, chapter 8 is perhaps the most important chapter in all of Romans, and one of the most significant chapters in all of Scripture. Chapters 1 through 7, Paul basically makes the argument that because of sin, all of us fall short of God's standards, and apart from God, we are incapable of fulfilling His laws. But here in chapter 8, Paul introduces us to the reality that changes everything. And that is the reality is that as believers, we have the Holy Spirit residing in us. That through Jesus, God gives us the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit He affirms our salvation, He assures us of grace and mercy, and He enables us to experience God's power and victory over sin and death. And beginning this week and for the next few weeks, we're going to begin to address the question of how. How does the Spirit enable us to experience more of God's salvation? How do we experience more of God's grace and forgiveness? How do we experience more of His power over sin? Uh, Back in 2008, and I shared this with many of you before, uh, back in 2008, I signed up or committed to uh, having a pretty big surgery on my right knee. It would be the fifth fifth surgery that I would have had up until that point, uh, one in junior high, one in college, two in that previous year. But this would be the big one. This would be the one that in theory would fix everything that would need to be fixed. And the plan was to knock me out for about six hours, open up the front of my knee with about a six-inch incision, clean out some of the debris, remove some old metal pins, make some tiny micro-fractures, implant some new cartilage cells, and insert a new meniscus, and then sew me back up. The recovery would be long. It would be about six months on crutches, non-weight-bearing. Another two months after that, uh, walking with two crutches. Another two months after that, walking with one crutch. So about a whole year before I could walk without any assistance, about another six months, another year before I'd be able to run or or play sports. So I went ahead, had the surgery. The surgery went well, and then the wait began. I needed to be patient. My body had everything it needed to make a recovery. I had the new cartilage. I had the stitches, the staples. And I had everything that my body needed for it to heal itself. I just needed to be, to be patient. But I could also participate in the recovery in order to accelerate the process. Things like physical therapy, things like rehab. So a few hours after my surgery, a physical therapist comes to my room, wakes me up and says, all right, let's get moving. So I'm groggy, I'm... On drugs, I'm in pain, but I'm kind of hopping around the hospital floor on both crutches, IV in tow, participating in my recovery, in my rehab, in order to accelerate the recovery, to accelerate the process of healing. In the same way, because we have the Holy Spirit, we have everything we need to grow and mature. We have everything we need for change and transformation. We have everything we need to get to know God, grow closer to God and become more like Him. And while that is going to happen one way or another, whether in this lifetime or in the next, we have the opportunity and the responsibility to participate in order to accelerate the process to get where we're headed a little quicker, a little faster, a little sooner, to experience more now what we are eager and excited to experience then. And the question we need to ask, the obvious question is, well, how do we participate with the Holy Spirit? And that's a question we're going to begin to answer today, and we're going to be looking at Over the next few weeks. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 8, uh, beginning with verse 5, where we will read our passage for this morning. Verse 5 Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. but if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. Verse 11 And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. So here in our passage, Paul makes a very important distinction. Paul distinguishes two ways of living. Those who live according to the flesh and those who live according to the Spirit. And the fact that Paul is making this distinction here tells us that we as believers, we have the ability and the capacity to do both. That because of the Holy Spirit, we now have the ability to live according to the Spirit but we still have the capacity to live according to the flesh. And the obvious thrust of Paul's argument, the the point that he will soon confirm, is that we as believers are to live life according to the Spirit or in accordance with the Spirit. And just to, to give you a heads up, this is so much more than simply choosing to sin or choosing not to sin. So how do we live according to the Spirit? Well, this morning we're going to see two things uh, we need to do in order to live according to the Spirit. In the coming weeks we'll see more, but today we're going to highlight two of them. And the first one is, and, and I promise you I'm not being sarcastic, but in order to live according to the Spirit, we cannot live according to the flesh. And I know that might seem super obvious, and like I said, I'm not trying to be clever or get smart with you. But in order to live according to the Spirit, we cannot live according to the flesh. More specifically, in order to live according to the Spirit, we have to be able to recognize if and when we are living according to the flesh. Verse 5, those who live according to the flesh have their mind set on what the flesh desires. Now, there's two things that we need to unpack here. One, what is the flesh? And two, what does it mean to have our mind set on the flesh? Now, when Paul refers to our flesh, he's not referring to our physical bodies. Rather, he is referring to the part of us that is still corrupted by sin the part of us that still wants to sin, the part of us that's still inclined to sin, that's our flesh. And thus to have our mind set on our flesh is to not only focus and dwell on the flesh, but it's as he says in verse 6, it's to allow the flesh to govern our minds. In other words, it's to allow the sinful part of us to lead, to guide to dictate how we think, how we feel, how we ultimately live. And Paul says, in order to live by the Spirit, we can't do that. we got to stop that. Now, before we move on, there's another distinction that Paul is making here that is profound. That for the first time in this book, beginning at the end of 7, here in chapter 8, Paul is making a distinction between us, and our flesh, that he is differentiating who I am and what my flesh is, that those two things are not the same. Remember in chapter 6 and 7, Paul tells us that we died with Christ and were raised to life with him, that our old selves died and we were given a new life, that we are a new creation with a new heart given the Holy Spirit. And because we are a new creation, because we have a new heart, because we have the Holy Spirit, we no longer have to live according to the flesh. We no longer have to allow the sinful part of us to lead us, to dictate how we think, how we feel, how we live. Over the past year or so, I've been doing along with Pastor Brandon, Pastor Nick, we've been doing what's called intermittent fasting. It's it's kind of like a diet, not really a diet. It's more like a eating strategy. And basically how it works is you select a certain amount of hours, in our case eight hours, where we give ourselves permission to eat and we don't eat the other 16 hours. So for me, my eight-hour window is 11 a.m. to 7 p.m. That's when I give myself permission to eat. I can eat whenever I want, and for the most case, I can eat whatever I want. But outside that window, I I don't eat. Now, inevitably, there are some mornings, you know, 9.30, 10 a.m., when I start to, to get a little hungry. Stomach begins to grumble, and I feel like eating. Or there are times at night, maybe it's 8 p.m. or 9 p.m., and one of my girls bakes some cookies or brownies, and I'm craving dessert, something sweet, and my mouth is, is salivating. And even though I'm hungry, even though my stomach is grumbling, even though, you know, my mouth is salivating, even though I have this urge to eat, I don't have to. Now, there are times when I I do eat and I cheat, but I don't have to. Because my stomach, because whatever part of my body is giving me that hunger sensation, that is a part of me, but it's not all of me. In the same way, the flesh is a part of who I am, but it's not all that I am. And thus, if I'm at, at home, and I'm with Amber and the kids and I'm, I'm, I'm tired. I'm a little cranky. I'm feeling irritable or impatient. That's my flesh. It's a, it's a part of who I am, but it's not all of who I am. If I'm feeling stressed, if I'm feeling overwhelmed, anxious about, about life or finances or ministry, That's my flesh. It's a part of who I am. It's not all that I am. If I'm discontent, if I'm dissatisfied, if I'm struggling with things like pride, selfishness, laziness, greed, materialism, insecurity, fear, lust, if I'm feeling bitter or resentful towards another person, if I'm feeling indifferent or apathetic about things like racism, poverty, human suffering, injustice. Basically, if I'm feeling anything that is not the fruit of the Spirit. right? If I'm feeling anything that is not love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. If I'm feeling anything that's not that. It's my flesh. And because it's my flesh, because that's the sinful part of me, and because I have the Holy Spirit, I don't have to think what I'm thinking. I don't have to feel what I'm feeling. I don't have to do what I'm doing. Now, I may very well still think what I'm thinking and feel what I'm feeling and do what I'm doing, and when I do that, there is no condemnation ever, only grace, only mercy. Check out last week's message We're still going to sin. We're still going to fail. We're still going to mess up. First John says, anyone who says they're without sin, they're a liar. We're going to fail. We're going to fall short, but we don't have to. In those moments when we recognize our flesh at work, we have the opportunity, we have the ability to take our minds off of what the flesh desires and to Set it on what the Spirit desires. And that leads us to our second point this morning. In order to live according to the Spirit, we need to simply think about the Holy Spirit. Once again, seems pretty straightforward and obvious. Second half of verse 5, right? says, those who live according to the flesh have their mindset on what the flesh desires, but... Those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mindset on what the Spirit desires. To have our mindset on what the Spirit desires is to not only dwell on focus on what the Spirit desires, but it's to allow the Spirit to govern our mind. It's to allow the Spirit to lead us, to guide us, to dictate how we think, how we feel. How we live. So the obvious question is, well, what does the Spirit desire? What does he want? There are times when I'm here at the office. It's between eleven am and seven pm, sometime within my window, when I start feeling a little hungry. but I have nothing to eat. Maybe I forgot lunch, maybe my secret stash is all gone. So I decide to head on over to Flame Broiler because it's the closest. It's right down the street. Or if I'm really feeling like making a trek, then I'll, I'll go to Del Taco. But as I'm on my way out, if there's someone else in the office, say Brandon or Nick, Steve, John, uh, everyone else works remotely, but if, if someone else is in the office, um, the thought will cross my mind. I wonder if, if they want something. Now, I've known them long enough by now to to know for the most part what they like and and what they dislike and even to know what they usually get from various places. I know that John loves salads, Nick, junk food, and Brandon loves In-N-Out and anything with white sauce on it. Just checking if you're with me. But even though I know what they like and dislike, even though I know what they usually get, If I really want to know what they want at any given moment, on any given day, I have to simply walk over to their office, knock on the door, and ask them. And you see, when it comes to what the Spirit desires, it's so much more than just recalling information. It's not about memorizing Scripture or thinking about the Bible, although that's helpful and that's extremely important. Thinking about the Spirit is not a spiritual checklist. It's not rules to follow or instructions to adhere. It's less about behavior and it's more about relationship. See, what the Spirit desires is so much more than just us not sinning. As we'll see in the coming weeks, what the Spirit desires is certain things for us to know. Times when He desires For us to experience certain truths, to receive certain gifts, and yes, at times, to do certain things. Sophomore year in college, I lived with three other guys in a four-person suite. It was two dorm rooms with a connecting bathroom. And one of the guys I lived with was a guy named Charles, who was a computer engineer major, and he was brilliant, really smart, and extremely successful today. But there were times when I would come back from campus, I'd walk into my room, and I'd hear him in the other room watching TV. So I'd walk over, and I'd say something like, Hey, what's up, Charles? When would you get back? And no response. He just locked in on the TV screen. would say, uh, Do you eat? Are you going to work out? Once again, just no response. Just locked in on the TV. Uh, Okay, I'll see you later, Charles. And I walk back and nothing, silence. And then about 10 minutes later, Charles will walk over to my room and be like, hey, what's up, Eric? When would you get back? Completely oblivious to the fact that I was just in his room, standing right next to him, talking to him. How often do we acknowledge the Holy Spirit's presence in our life? Or another way to look at it, how often are we completely oblivious to the Holy Spirit's presence in our life? And how would our lives be different if we simply thought about the Holy Spirit more, if we acknowledged Him more? Many of you are familiar with the book of Exodus, and God leading the Israelites out from Egypt. For those of you who are in the Multiplied Discipleship class, we just looked at this a couple weeks ago, which is perhaps why this came to mind for me. But I was thinking about the Israelites leaving Egypt after a couple hundred years of slavery. They had just seen God do some amazing things, some borderline frightening things. They saw God demonstrate His sovereignty, demonstrate His power, demonstrate His superiority over Egyptian gods. They saw Him demonstrate His presence and His favor and His affection for them. So I'm imagining as they're walking out of Egypt that they're feeling pretty good, feeling grateful, feeling hopeful about their future, about what God has in store. We're told that they spent some time camping out in the desert, and after a while, God leads them to the Red Sea for a little bit of R&R on some beachfront property. Life was was good. Things were looking good. But it wouldn't be too long until they would soon discover that the entire Egyptian army was headed their way. The greatest military on earth at that time was headed in their direction And they weren't waving any white flags. And now this beachfront property, it's no longer a vacation, but it all but guarantees their doom, their destruction, because they're stuck, they're trapped. They're stuck between a body of water and the Egyptian army. So they do what most normal human beings would do. They begin to worry. They begin to feel a little nervous, get a little scared, and then they freak out. They begin to blame Moses, they begin to complain, they begin to regret ever having left Egypt. And a lot of times we, we hear this, we read it, and we give them a lot of flack for responding the way they responded. But what comes to mind for me, what I wonder is, well, what else could they have done? Right? There's nothing they could have done in that moment that would have changed their circumstances. No matter what they did, they would have always been stuck between a body of water and the Egyptian army. You see, the only thing they could have done differently in that moment was they could have thought about God more. They could have thought about what he had just done. They could have thought about all that he could do. They could have thought about the fact that he was with them, that he was leading them by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, that he was for them. And if they would have just thought about that, it would have changed how they perceived their situation. It would have changed how they felt about their situation. It would have changed how they responded to their situation. How would our lives be different if we simply thought about the Holy Spirit more? Now, maybe some of you are are asking the question, Maybe none of you are asking this question. (laughs) But maybe some of you are asking this question. Well, okay, that makes sense. I get the point. But how often then are we supposed to think about the Holy Spirit? Are we supposed to think about Him a few times a day? Uh, Ten times a day? Every hour? Every half hour? Every minute? Is it even possible to think about Him every moment of every day? I know for myself, I've been, I've been trying to be more mindful of the Holy Spirit's presence. I've been trying to be more intentional and in just reminding myself and thinking that the Holy Spirit is, is in me. He's with me. He's for me. He's, he's working in me to change and transform me. But the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead, the same Spirit that gives life to our mortal bodies, the same Spirit who has the ability to overcome sin and death, He's, he's in me. He's with me. I've been doing my best to, to think about that, to think about that when I'm driving, when I'm sitting, when I'm reflecting, even when I'm you know, out and about, going for a jog, out for a bike ride with a family, tossing a football on the street, or going on a family hike, to just pause and to think about the Holy Spirit. Now, I wonder the same thing too. Is it possible to think about the Holy Spirit every moment of every day? And to be honest with you, I don't know. But what I do know is that at least for me, in this stage of life where I'm at, that for me, I could definitely think about the Holy Spirit more. And I think that's true of all of us. Regardless of where you are in your walk, we can all think about the Spirit more to acknowledge His presence more, to set our minds on Him more. Now maybe for some of us, this feels like a daunting challenge. This feels like one of those things in life that's good for us, but it's hard and strenuous. One of those things that we know we should do, but we're not necessarily excited to do. Something like starting a new diet, doing homework, having to learn something new or difficult. Something that feels more like a chore, more like a task, more like work. And if that's you, that's okay. It's completely understandable and it's, It's different for for all of us. But I think the one thing that we could all agree on is that there are some things in life, there are some things in all of our lives that are really easy to think about. There are some things that we just naturally think about even if we don't want to think about. There are some things that are so easy to think about, we have to force ourselves not to think about it just so that we can be a responsible and productive human being. Maybe it's a hobby, a passion, an interest. Maybe it's thinking about a new house, a new car, the next gadget, the the next device. Maybe it's thinking about our next vacation, our next travel destination, the next investment the next meal, the restaurant, whatever it is. Maybe it's thinking about a person, a significant other, a love interest, a loved one, a family member, friend, kids, grandkids, nieces, nephews. There are some things in our life that are easy to think about. Our minds just naturally go there. And there are some things that are hard to think about. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, where does God fit in all of that, and why? Now, the reason I bring this up is not to make us feel bad. It's not to try and guilt us to think about the Holy Spirit more. That's not what He wants. But rather to help us be honest with ourselves, to be honest with God, to be honest with those around us. Over the past year, we've been talking a lot about discipleship being a process of doing life with God, life under God, and life for God. And even though that process is probably more circular than it is linear, there is an aspect of it where we need to be able to do life with God before we can do life under God. And we need to be able to do life under God before we can do life for God. Now, some of you, you're doing all three, and we praise God for that. You inspire us. Some of you are striving and working hard to to do life under God, and we praise God for that. You encourage us. And then there are some of us who are still just trying to figure out how to do life with God. And that's a good thing. That's a great place to be, and you bless God, and you bless us. So if that's you, if you're still trying to figure out how to do life with God, be encouraged. God delights in you. He delights in our honesty. He delights in our humility. To come before God, to be honest before Him. Right? To say, God, I just I just need to get to know you more. Or before I can consider doing life for you or life under you, I just I just need to, to get to know you. I need to experience more of you. Help me. Teach me. Show me. Convince me that you are a God I can trust, that you are a God I can depend on, that you are worthy to to follow, that you are worthy to serve, that you are worthy of my love and devotion, that you are worthy to live this life for. And to come before God with that kind of honesty and that kind of humility, God delights in that. So be encouraged. So if that's you this morning, I want to close this time by inviting you to to pray with me. Really to invite all of you to pray with me because no matter where we are, all of us could get to know God more, grow to trust Him more, grow to love Him more. And the beauty of doing church virtually is that you can pray with me in the quietness of your home and the quietness of your own heart. You don't have to worry about people looking around. You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to stand up. You don't have to walk to the front. You can just be where you are. Come before God and to ask Him to help us do life with Him. So I'm going to pray for us And I want to invite you to pray with me. Let's pray. God, we come before you. And we ask that you help us get to know you more. I ask that you would help me to see you clear, to experience more of your presence. Show me. Teach me. Convince me that I can trust you, that I can depend on you, that you are a God worth following, a God worth serving, a God worth living for. Thank you for the love that you demonstrated to us through Jesus. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who is in us and with us. And we ask for your help to get to know you more. In Jesus' name, amen.